0: The Gospel according to Mark chapter 9. Now we are just a few days off of Ash Wednesday, and this Sunday has typically been held in our tradition as Transfiguration Sunday. The day that we look at this story from the Gospels of the Transfiguration, all three of the synoptic Gospels have this account. So synoptic meaning similar Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Also, we had a reading today from 2 Peter that actually also dealt with an allusion to this very event, which was where Peter says, look, I actually heard with my own ears the voice of God in the cloud. And so we want to look and read the... Middle story here, so to speak, from Mark, right between Matthew and Luke's Gospels, and read just down to verse 13, starting with 2. Hear these words. This is the word of the living God. And after six days, Jesus took with Him Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And He was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. <laughs> Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son, listen to Him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus alone. And as they were coming down the mountain... He charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked Him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And He said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that He should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, would you descend in this place now, just as you did here? Rend the heavens and come down among us in the next few moments as we speak of your word. Bless these words to our hearts by the power of Your Spirit and say things that are not said by me to the hearts of Your people. We pray in Your most holy name. Amen. Have you ever had an event that shaped you for life? Something that really was unforgettable, memorable, Uh, a moment where your trajectory in life changed. Pivotal moments make us most of the time. If I were to ask you about yourself, you're probably going to share with me three or four or more different pivotal moments in your life. You typically don't share in five minutes the boring stories of your life. You share the big ones. You share the turning points. You share the mountaintop Experiences, don't you? Yeah, you do. Interesting here, we're back on a mountain. Did you notice that? Now, we've been there before, right? In this series that we've been doing in Epiphany. We talk about the temptation which happens, even Satan takes him to a high mountain and says, look, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. We have Jesus then ascending a mountain to do His great preaching with the Sermon on the Mount. Then we have this event where He takes three of His twelve disciples, the cord, Peter, James, and John, to a high mountain. And of course, we're looking forward to two other mountains that He'll have to ascend as well before He goes back to the Father, which is one, His agony, His prayer on the Mount Olivet, and the other is Calvary. Golgotha, which means the skull. So, we're not done with the mountains yet, but here's one that is very important and almost in the middle here of Jesus' life. Really, if you begin to look at the Gospel of Mark as a whole and begin to outline the book, you see that there is a transition that takes place in chapter 8 once Peter makes this confession, you are the Christ, you remember this well, right? Jesus is walking with them and he says, Who do people say that I am? They say, Well, some people say you're Elijah, some people say you're a prophet because he's doing miracles, he's preaching. That's what prophets do. Jesus turns to him and says, Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, speaking for the whole bunch, because he seems to be the spokesman, he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, what you said just there is something that only revelation could have told you. Only my father could have told you that. You couldn't have learned it from the books. And then Peter, you know, Peter, you can imagine, thinking pretty highly of himself, you know, all right, right on, I finally got something right, baby, you know. I mean, he's pumped about this, right? He's been wrong before, and he'll be wrong again. Uh, and so he's, he's pretty pumped about it. And so Jesus says, look, guys, I'm going to tell you something. If, if that's who you think I am, I'm going to tell you something. And that is, I'm going to Jerusalem now. So, now, just geographically, real quick, Jesus' ministry is very simple. He goes north from Jerusalem, then he turns back and goes south. This is the turning point. This confession, you are the Christ, it is where he pivots his ministry and begins to look back to Jerusalem now and sets his face to the cross. And he says, Guys, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. What does Peter say? Not going to happen. I got your back. I conceal carry. Right? And Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. Whew. Now, I've never called anybody Satan. Um, don't really feel like I have the right to do that. So don't worry about it. But Jesus does. Jesus tells His premier disciple, the one He just said, What came out of your mouth, Peter, was from God only. Now what comes out of Peter's mouth is from Satan. Even in our best moments, we have to watch ourselves, don't we? When we start feeling good about ourselves, that's when we're about to fall. That's what Peter tells us. You know, Peter could have had this covered up, right? He could have said, you know what, Mark, because John Mark was actually Peter's disciple. He could have said, you know what, let's... (laughs) Just uh, leave that out. Now, that's a little embarrassing, you know, be called Satan. <laughs> a little embarrassing. Um, you know, you've probably been called things that you don't want to be known. This, is, this was going to be known to the whole world forever. Peter could have said, let's just, let's just gloss over that, cover that up. He didn't because this is the truth of Scripture. This is not something that's made up. It's somebody's real life. You read the myths, everybody's perfect. Everybody's ideal. Moses is not ideal. He doesn't even get to go to the promised land. He did all that work for nothing. Except for the fact that the promised land was not the salvation, our salvific end. God is. Heaven's not the end. God is. We're in this for Jesus, not for the benefits. Amen. Even though the benefits are out of this world. but <laughs> Some of you are just now beginning to get it. <laughs> so here we are. On a mountain. Jesus has three of His core people. Right after this confession, He takes them up. He shifts His ministry now from the public scene... Now to His private disciples. If you read the rest of Mark, most of the stuff He's going to be trying to teach them. Why? Because now he set His face to Jerusalem, and if you knew you only had a few more weeks with these guys, you would be focusing on them, not just the crowds. This is exactly what Mark shows to us in his Gospel. That confession was the turning point, but now Jesus is going to give them an event that is memorable. (laughs) Even for us. So when you're on a mountain, you can look around and what you can see from up there are other mountain peaks. I'll never forget that uh, in college, my brother and two other compadres, we went out to Georgia, North Georgia, where the Appalachian Trail begins, and we went up to Springer Mountain. We hiked that day and about wore ourselves out, blisters all over our feet that first day, stayed up on Springer Mountain, which is very cold, um... In spring break time, weather like now, and that morning we woke up. There was ice on the tent. I went um, over to the edge just to try to get a view of where we were up on the mountain. I looked out and saw the most beautiful thing. One of the, I mean, compared to me, it was it was comparative to the Grand Canyon for me. That's how beautiful it was. And what it was was the clouds had covered everything below us. I mean, you couldn't see anything but white clouds. The only thing that could be seen was other mountain peaks. It's the most amazing thing. And the clouds were moving like a river underneath us. It was just a staggering sight from up on the mountaintop. That's what happens when you're on a mountain. You get fresh air. You're above the noise of everyday mundane life. You can see further... Up on a mountain. And so Jesus uses these mountaintop experiences as teaching points for His disciples. They're meant to be memorable, just like that morning was. I mean, I can ask my brother right now on the phone and he would say, absolutely, I remember that morning. It's something that neither one of us will forget. A mountaintop experience. We need those. We need those. As Christians, we need certain moments that help define us. Okay, now we can't just live there forever. Notice they come down the mountain. Right? Jesus, says, let's go. Let's go back into ministry. Back to the people. We're not meant to live on the mountaintop, but we need those moments. You need those moments. They're moments of clarity for us. It's the same kind of moments that we have in our relationships. I'll never forget the night I met Jessica. Very memorable. Very beautiful. Just like that scene that I just explained to you, except more. Uh, You could tell me your memorable moments. Jesus creates one here with His disciples. They're on a high mountain. You know, there's this, some of you may be wearing it, uh, Kavu, K-A-V-U, brand of clothing, uh, even rock climbing clothing. Clear above, visibility unlimited. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's clear above visibility and He's unlimited in this capacity. He does not, this time, enclose His divinity in the flesh. Rather, He lets them see the glory of God on full display and they can't even look at Him. They can't even look at Him. Interestingly, Luke will tell us that the reason Jesus went up to the mountain was actually to pray. In Luke's gospel, he's always focused and interested in Jesus' prayers. And here, here he actually tells us in his gospel, he says, They went up to the mountain, a high mountain, to pray. They went there for solitude. Don't we need that? If Jesus needed that, we need that. We need to get out of the hustle and the bustle and find a mountaintop experience in our weekly life. We need that. Maybe it's Sunday. Maybe it's another day. Maybe it's waking up early. You need solitude in your life. If you don't have it, what will happen is you're just going from one thing to the next, accomplishing this and that, To one, and you wake up ten years later and you say, what have I really done here? What's really happened? You see, it's interesting that the mountain is an image in the Old Testament that is critical, isn't it? (laughs) Think about Mount Moriah, where Abraham went. You remember that story where he was told to sacrifice Isaac? That was on a mountain. A mountain that would symbolize another sacrifice Thousands of years later, where the knife blade would not be stopped, it would come down on God's own son for us. Think of Mount Horeb, where Moses notices a bush that is burning but doesn't burn up, and then is told the very personal name of God Himself, Yahweh. Think of Mount Sinai where the Ten Commands are etched into stone by God Himself. Not Moses up there chiseling out. It says God wrote them. It's the only place where God writes in the Bible other than in the sand in the New Testament. Fascinating. On a mountain. On a mountain. And then, of course, we look far ahead to the apocalypse. John Again, this John, the one that's on the mountaintop with Jesus, John the Beloved, who, in his own uh, words, in his own gospel, says, the one whom Jesus loved. In other words, he could never get over the fact that Jesus loved him, not just the whole world, but actually him. And John says in his apocalypse in Revelation, there's another mountain, the mountain of God, Mount Zion where we'll stand one day and be able to look back at all the other mountaintop experiences in victory. You know, the famous picture of the flag going up. I met a guy who was there. He lives right down the street from Meemaw. I mentioned her earlier. In Mississippi. He saw that flag go up. And now it's a famous picture. He said actually there was a previous flag that had gone up. And that was the second you know, flag. And they just put it up so they get a photo op. You know, the first one went up in victory. We're going to be at that day when we can stand back and look at those mountaintop experiences. And you know what we'll say that day? We'll say it was worth it. We'll say it was worth it. Here we are drudging up this, uh, uh, you know, huffing and puffing up the mountain saying, this is dumb. Why are we here? I got blisters. Da, da, da. You get up to the mountain. Wow. (laughs) This is awesome. You forget about your blisters. You forget about the things that hurt you along the way. The small falls that you thought were really big don't look so big anymore. Not from up there. Not from up there. We're headed to a mountain. The mountain of God. We must keep our eyes on that mountain. Yeah, we'll go through the valley, and in the valley, you're not going to be able to see anything but what's right in front of you. It's like the fog of war. Five feet's all you get. But you know what? In those moments, our faith must see further than what's right in front of us. We must push through. He did. He pushed all the way through and He will join us on that mountain. Our King, the one we teach our kids about, the one we pray to, the one we sing to. We're going to meet Him face to face just like Moses did. Just like Elijah did. We'll see our Savior what a day that will be when my Jesus, I will see. I'll look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace, and take me by the hand and lead me into the promised land. What a day! What a day that will be! Wow! Praise be to God. So He takes him up there, and He starts to be transfigured. This term transfiguration is probably not something you just drop at work all the time. Seems to be the case um, a lot in the Bible. We don't use some of these terms a lot, but the term is actually found interestingly in R- Romans by St. Paul in chapter 12. Remember that term, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind? That term transformed, not conformed to the world, but rather transform, Transfigure. It's the same word, metamorpho. It comes from the same word, metamorphosis. It's where you get that term from. It's transfiguration. Same thing a butterfly does, right? Little worm goes into this cocoon, emerges a butterfly, transfigured. Jesus becomes transfigured. You know, this is the kind of moment where you realize uh, Clark Kent is Superman. You get it. You get it. You see him go in the booth. You're like, huh? I just, you know, yeah, that's right. It's the moment where you find out. Who Batman is. It's the moment where, you know, Master Chief takes off his helmet. Woo! Maybe i to get that one right. <laughs> Halo, nobody. It's the moment where in the in mate in the Matrix, where you realize Neo's the one. You see, this is bigger than any superhero. Just like I told the kids moments ago. This is the greatest superhero, and here he peels back that humble hidden, work dude to somebody who is greater and glorious than they've ever seen before. This is glory. This is weighty. That's what that term glory means, is weight. This is very weighty right here. It's so bright they can't see. Luke even tells us that they basically had this heaviness upon them that had to get down on the ground. Interestingly, I just celebrated one of my mountaintop experiences uh, the night Jason and Paul and I went to the retreat was February 28th. That night is forever etched in my soul because 15 years ago in 1999, around 8.30 at night, there was an event at a, at a youth retreat um, where God came down so heavy in the place all you could do was get on the floor. The last... Thing I remember seeing, you know, before people got up and praising God in the altar call was was everybody in the room was on the floor, face down. Um, It was a very powerful thing, very powerful night. Don't expect it to happen again, but you know what? The burning bush is a one time event. That's okay. We look to other mountain peaks now. Yes, we appreciate those past times, but we don't live there. We keep moving forward. You can't live on your past. Not even the past experiences. Not even good experiences. That's not enough. We must live always off of Jesus. Amen. His body. His blood. That's what saves us. Not ourselves, Not our experiences. But Him. The risen Lord Himself. Peter, of course, here he is, the spokesman again. He sees this great sight. I mean, it's like, you ever, you ever had a car in front of you and the you know, my saints thing on the front of our van will like send out a little... Glint of, of sunlight onto other people's cars. You ever had that happen? You, you can't even look at that's what's happening. They can't even look at him anymore. And they're down. And, and Peter says, He says, Lord, man, this, this is awesome. You know, did you notice what he says here? It's so funny. Uh, he says, It is good that we are here. <laughs> yeah, you think so, bud? <laughs> you know, I mean, but what he is it even says here, he didn't know what to say. <laughs> Sometimes you just say, man, it's really good to be here, you know. <laughs> That's about all you can say. And then he says, look, I, I think we need to build, a, build three tents, or really the term there is tabernacles. Three tabernacles, you know, one for you, Jesus, one for you, or uh, for Elijah, and then one for Moses. Notice that he never gets that answered, right? What happens next is a cloud descends. You see the cloud descending in the Old Testament, right? They were led by a cloud during the day when they when they prayed for the holy of holies to dedicate it. What happened? God filled the place with smoke. What was Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter six? What was it? Remember, the house was filled with what? The temple was filled with smoke, cloud. Also, when Solomon prays and dedicates that glorious temple of theirs that they built, what happens? The place is filled with smoke. It represents God's very presence. God came in, the Father came in, and He speaks out of this cloud to them, and He says, This is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. In other words, don't listen to Peter. That's part of it. Listen instead to Him. Peter's trying to build a temple for three of them. There only needs to be one temple. Notice what happens next thing you know. The disciples wake up, and there's only Jesus alone. Why? Because he is the only way to God. Amen. Not Elijah, not Moses. In other words, not the law, not the prophets. Moses was the law giver. You remember? It was given to him. Monotheism in all of the world. You can search the world's religions, like I've tried to do, and you'll find the same thing that I did and that is no one talks about monotheism except for Moses. That's it. It's the only source of monotheism in all of the world that there's one God. It only comes from Moses. The law comes from Moses. He is the lawgiver. Alright? That's the first five books of the Bible, by the way. The law. Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All written by Moses. Premier, I mean, that's found date. You miss those books, you have no idea what's going on in the Bible then Elijah was one of the prophets' premier. Remember, he was so close to God that he was taken up to God in a whirlwind. Chariot swoops down, he gets taken up in the whirlwind. That's somebody that's pretty close to God. There's only one other instance like that, Enoch, right? He walked with God and he was not, whatever that means. God took him. So here is the Law and the Prophets, which is the Old Testament. Now, Luke will also give us a little more additional information than Mark does. And he says, what they were talking about was Jesus' exodus. Interesting term there, huh? Jesus' exodus from Jerusalem. So here... Are you with me here? Here's Moses. I mean, a towering figure, not just in the Bible or in the Christian world, our little bubble in the whole world he has affected the entire world world history he's on the he's on the radar of anybody that wants to be knowledgeable in, in the entire world all right here he is here's Elijah the prophet premier that represents all the other prophets to come he was the first prophet of many to come and they're talking with Jesus maybe encouraging Jesus about his exit strategy from Jerusalem, his Exodus, and the cross. The cross. You see, the reason Jesus called Peter Satan was because Peter offered a way to salvation without the cross. And that is no way to God. There is no other way but through the cross of Jesus Christ. You too. And myself must also walk that same road, ascend that same mountain with our cross to bear, take up your cross. Paul will even later say, Jesus says it this way after Peter makes that confession, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. Which you're going to be doing in Lent. If you hadn't, I mean, Most of the time we never deny ourselves anything. We say we're limited. That's not denying yourself. I'm saying you can buy that certain thing and you don't. You can eat that certain thing and you don't. You can pop off at the mouth and you don't. That's denying yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Where did he go? To the supermarket? No. Did he go to the spa? No. He went to a place where he was going to suffer, be persecuted, spat upon, mocked, and murdered. He went to a place of death. What was the song that we just sang, that Rachel was leading us into? Come and die. Just step back for a second. Did you hear that? That's what Christianity is, is a place where you must die to yourself. So that you might live to God. Why? Because we need to be transfigured. If not, we'll stay a worm forever. Interestingly, the picture of hell that we have is where the worm dies not. We need to become a butterfly. We need to fly. We're meant to fly. But we must first die to ourselves. Jesus used another illustration, not just this death thing of the cross, but also a grain of wheat. Drop it into the ground, it germinates, which means it dies to being a seed. And it becomes a plant. Shoots up out of the soil, right? And then grows into a great tree to bear fruit. This event was precious to Jesus because two people, critical people from the Old Testament, come and encourage Him in this moment but also was precious to the disciples because it became a mountaintop experience for them. It became something that would push them through suffering. Yes, they would still deny Jesus when the time came. Yes, they would run away from Him. But when they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, they never would turn from Him again. They went to the cross, Peter did, and asked them to crucify Him upside down because He didn't feel worthy to be crucified like His Lord. This is not the same guy who runs away. Why? Because now the cloud had descended. He wasn't wanting to just set up a temple so that He could be somebody. Instead, it was all about Jesus. All about Jesus. Even in His death. Jesus tells them to be silent about this until the resurrection. Why? Because they didn't really know who He was yet. They were still learning. Many of us are in that position. We still are trying to figure out really who Jesus is. We think we know. But trust me, I've been in the business for a long time, so to speak, and I'm still learning. My father's still learning. My grandfather's still learning. We will never come to a place where we can put our Bibles up and put it on the shelf and be done with Jesus. Amen. Not going to happen. We must always and continually allow the Holy Spirit to crush our little box that we try to push him in and push him down into. We try to form him into what we want, which is called idolatry. We must not. We must not. Just as I told the kids. Jesus is the greatest superhero. Have you had that moment where He revealed Himself to you? Where He pulled the curtain back a little bit to show you what was going on? Those kind of moments will push you through really dark times in your life. Amen. They really will. It's what pushes us through in our relationships. The fact that we have these moments together that define us. Nobody else shares those moments. They can't be fabricated it must be a spirit moment where He rends the heavens and comes down and fills your life with this holy cloud. You ever had that before? Yes. If we walk with Him, you will. Stay faithful to Jesus. We don't have to have everything figured out, praise be to God. We can be Peter. That's okay. It's okay to be Peter. You know, He's really going to beat some people up, I think, that beat him up in the pulpit sometime when we get to heaven. You know, to like, man, why are you talking about me so much? You know. no, he, we want our life like his to be a living sacrifice. Are you worried about your own reputation? What other people are going to think Peter wasn't when the Bible was written? He said, put it in there. Put it in there. Why? Because we need to hear it. Do you need Jesus like that? Do you even see your need for Him like that? We need to be transfigured. He can do that. Jesus can do that in us. He can make us look like Him. It's what He came for. Praise be to God. That is the good news. Walk with Him. Deny yourself. Take up your own cross. And follow Him what you'll find is resurrection life transformed living. You won't have to, you won't have to you know, try to force yourself to read your Bible or to pray for other people or to love others. It'll begin to flow out naturally. Really, supernaturally by the Spirit. Amen.